0: The chance win the series, the chance win the series, The Chance win the series, The Chance win the series.
1: And welcome to episode 1706 of Effectively Wild, a baseball podcast from Fangraphs, presented by our Patreon supporters. I am Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer, joined by Meg Raleigh of Fangraphs. Hello, Meg. Hello. And we are happy to be joined today by the co-host of the Athletics Baseball Barista podcast,
0: Hunter Pence. Hi, Hunter. (laughs) Hey, how are you guys doing? Uh, I am now taller. I have always wanted to be taller.
1: (laughs) Uh, we got Grant, huh? Okay. Uh, yeah. nuts. Well, we'll make the best of it. That's Grant Brisby, folks. He is also the co host of the Baseball Barista podcast and the Bags and Brisby podcast. He is Brisby. And yeah, you guys do basically look the same, give or take, eight to 10 inches, at least facially. There is a resemblance there.
0: Yeah. Now, we, we, uh, we do have kind of a same vibe. Uh, my, my dad always thinks that I did a Hunter Pence impression once and like posted it on YouTube. And it's like, no, that's just sort of how my hair looked at the time. That's sort of where my beard was at the time. It wasn't intentional. It just sort of happened like that.
1: Your hair has been through a lot in the last year. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) So have have your Twitter followers Who have watched it grow I guess it has uh, maybe Returned to its old length lately Or I I saw a clip of you and I don't know if it was at its maximum length Still but you really, you took some liberties with it.
0: Yeah, no, I went full. I was ponytail. I was a church camp counselor. I was, uh, it was a lot. Uh, Now it's gone and back to normal, except now it's like totally gray. It's amazing. I went like (laughs) Roger Sterling on it and it wasn't like that a year ago or 15 months ago. So, you know, thanks pandemic.
1: Yeah, I guess it's been a stressful year. (laughs) So not for Giants fans, which we will get to, but I did want to ask you about that podcast because you're doing these two podcasts and... And in one, you're just John with another fellow media member. And in another, you're talking to a prominent ex-player, one you covered and watched his whole career. And it must be a different role for you, sort of. You're almost in the like play by play guy on the broadcast role where you have the ex player analyst and you're kind of teeing him up to be like, So, what did you do in this situation? Or wanting him to share some anecdotes from his career. Although I guess, you know, he's a conversational guy and uh, an intellectual and all of that. But it must be a little bit different to go back and forth between those two. It's
0: very different. And I mean, I don't know if you would know. Uh, anything about this, but I'm getting a little sick of my own voice and talking on podcasts (laughs) so much. Yeah, I know. It's such an esoteric. I don't know, but it's, it's very different. And I've, I'm kind of like the Chris Rose in this relationship with Hunter Pence, where I'm, you know, just, I'm not there to be talky, talky, jokey, jokey. Uh, Mm -hmm. I will come in with jokes. Uh, if needed, uh, it's rarely needed. It's more just I'm going to facilitate and I'm trying to draw out. I'm throwing out a fishing line and just going here, fishy, fishy, trying to get these cool <laughs> anecdotes and stuff like that. And that's totally fine. No one needs more jokes from me. Like if you want jokes, go to the Bags and brisbee. Uh We're both nerds that are trying to one up each other with jokey, jokey. So, um, I, you know, I'm enjoying it. it. It's definitely different and not in a bad pejorative way. It's like it's different in a way that I'm enjoying. And how has it changed your
1: sort of relationship with Pence in that your relationship used to be, I guess, that he was a guy on TV you would watch from afar and come up with ways to describe his weird batting stance when you would recap Giants games. And now he's your co-host
0: on the podcast. So is that kind of weird? Well, on the third or fourth episode, about, I'm going to say 10 minutes before we ended or five minutes, it was toward the end. And I I, kind of, I said, hey do you know who I am? <laughs> you know, just, I just, just wanted to, and he goes, well, you know, I, I know that you, uh, you, you came up as a fan and you're a fan blogger. And I'm like, do you have any idea like what I've written in relation to you? And he goes, no, no, not at all. And I go, Okay, good. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, and, and then I I brought up the scouting report. I brought up, you yes. know, that I made the I invented the scouting report that every time the Giants would play in, in Atlanta, the Braves would mention the scouting report. Like it did get some play. People do remember it. And once I brought that up, he goes, "Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that real?" And I said, no, 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 that's, that was, that was me. He's like, you made that? It's like, yeah, it took me like all day on Photoshop. Uh, my second child was a week old. I had no idea I was off paternity leave, but there it is. It exists. And I wrote it in sorry and moving on. And so that, that's, that's a relationship now.
2: Did he go back and look at any of your other work?
0: <laughs> God, I hope not. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when I was writing it, I was just praying that he would not have any idea. Not because he would be offended, not because I was being mean, just cuz I didn't I didn't need him right. to be an audience. I didn't yeah. like I I wanted the audience to be anybody else but right. him and that's how it worked out and I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. I've always wondered what this
1: podcast would be like if we had a regular Player or ex player co host or guest. I mean, we have had players on, obviously, but not in that kind of regular role. And I don't know if you can find players who would indulge the weirdness and the odd (laughs) hypotheticals and just the baseball nerd sort of stance on things (laughs) that we tend to have. Like it's sort of a, a different mentality, typically, I guess. Pence has a different mentality typically than a lot of players, too. But I wonder whether talking to an ex player regularly has taught you anything about like player mindset or like the difference between players and the people who are on the other side of the ropes, like us.
0: I wouldn't say it's taught me anything insofar as. I just want to hear the stories. Like I want to pull those stories out of him. And he's very self-effacing and he's very, you know, look, I don't want to talk about myself. No one wants to hear about the glory days. And it's kind of my job to be like, oh, yes, we do. Like, I want to know how you approach Adam Wainwright or what do you feel about sticky stuff on on the baseballs and stuff like that. Like that, that's what I want to hear. And I'm not just doing that for the audience. It's great that that happens to be what I think the audience wants too. But I want to hear it. Like I get to talk to Hunter Pence and say, hey, what, what? what's Brandon Belt really like, you know, and it, it kind of works out for everyone, I'd like to think.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ben, I, I think that Grant has co-opted the one of the few people in the ex-player pool who I would um, <laughs> yeah. suggest would have a high tolerance for our, you know, if baseball were different, how different would it be? Although yes. I don't know. I mean, he strikes me as an affable guy, but he might be like, hey, you know, you could cool it with the mic drop talk. Like, you know, talk, talk about a national league player, why don't you?
1: Yeah, enough." He was different himself, so yeah. <laughs> that was the hypothetical right there, the right. walking <laughs> hypothetical. But it must also be odd because, like, he was on the Giants last year, right? You know, like he's not one of these players who's like far removed from that experience. We were talking the other day about how players try to predict things, and and players on broadcast will try to predict what pitch is going to be thrown or where the next location will be. And how they're not always accurate, and I was speculating that maybe the further removed from the game, the worse they are at that sort of thing, just because the game has changed and they don't know the players. And someone emailed us about Tony Romo and how he had this great reputation for being able to anticipate play calls when he went Mm. right from being a quarterback to the booth, and he was talking about players he had played against or played with. And so maybe that wears off over time, but Pence hasn't had any time for that to wear off. So if you talk about the 2021 Giants, like Hunter Pence was very recently playing with all of them. So that must be like, I don't know if that makes it difficult for him because he doesn't want to tell tales about players who are still there and about things that happened recently or what. But like, he is still like, it must still be an adjustment for him, even to get used to the idea that he is not out there on
0: the field. I don't think it, it's much of a stretch to say within the last five years, baseball has just grown exponentially. The changes, yeah. the, the the data that we're all parsing and stuff like that, I feel lost. And if you had a player who was just five years removed, six years removed, you know, I think that you would get a lot of just talk that is outdated. And mm-hmm. with Pence, he's seen the, the the data. He's seen you know what it, what it's like with exit velocity and swing path and this and you know you're trying to and spin rate. Like he's well versed on it, he's he's been talking. He's been an eager consumer of uh, different strategies, both with the Rangers and the Giants, and and uh, he's he's seen a lot, and he's he's willing to accept a lot of these changes. I think when he went to the Rangers uh, just a couple of years ago, he changed his swing, you know, because mm-hmm. they said, your swing path is here. We want it to be here. And he said, by golly, I think you might be right, and he had a great all-star season. So, uh, he's very uh, open to change. He's very open to new ideas. And yeah, because he was there a few months ago trying to figure out these new ideas. So, we want to talk about the
1: Giants, but before we get to that, I want to give you an opportunity to vent about What we call the zombie runner rule around here, because you've been one of the most consistent and vocal about trashing this rule on Twitter. And I love you for that. I love how you hate it. And I think a lot of people over time have resigned themselves to it. You know, it's like, hey, we're stuck with it. Some have even learned to like it. One Sam Miller was a proponent of the zombie runner rule. And yet you, yeah, staunch ally in our fight against this rule. And I thought it might be nice for someone other than us to come on and complain about it on this podcast. And I guess, you know, maybe you're motivated slightly by the fact that the Giants are two and five in extra (laughs) inning games. And I think they have yet to have a walk-off win this year, but they have had seven walk-off losses. Then again, the Dodgers, I believe, are one and seven in extra inning games. So that has worked in your favor as well. But what are the origins of your hatred of this rule?
0: I am not a purist. The seven-inning doubleheaders, it's fine. You know what I mean? Like, at last year, the 28-man roster, I wish they would keep it. The three-batter minimum, like, I, I'm kind of into that. Like, it, it, there's uh, – I, I do enjoy a good funky loogie about the same time. I, I'm okay. I'm even okay with the universal designated hitter. Like, I, I grew up a nationally guy. I'm even okay with that. The runner at second is just the worst. It's just – I I cannot wrap my head around it and what bothers me so much is the idea that you can win a baseball game without doing anything well and that's possible you know when okay so you ha- you're facing an opponent and they walk you on four pitches then they throw two wild pitches and then you hit a fly ball and you've won without the other, without doing anything well the other team did something horribly that's okay with the runner on second the other team can do just fine and you could do horribly and you're still winning because you hit a weak ground ball to second base. You hit uh, a weak fly ball to, to, you know, medium, deep center field. And all of a sudden you've got a run. Maybe it's a walk off. Maybe you've scored that go ahead run. It is just not baseball. I mean, it's not you. You should be able to do something well to win that. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like or the other team should be so horrible that they let you win. Either one of those is fine. Anything else is just a farce.
2: It's that it occupies sort of the squishy lukewarm middle that bothers you, right because yeah, it's, it's just- not it's not a collapse where you could say, ah oh, this calamity and you can really <laughs> pin it on the guys on the field or you can say, ah oh, that home run it went so far and that's how you talk. <laughs> and that's what you would how you would say it and you go wow, amazing this is uh, like a I don't know, this is like half melted ice
0: cream for you it is the squishy, squishy middle. That's a great way to put it because it's just—I don't know—how are you supposed to feel when you are watching a team uh, trying to prevent a run? They've got an automatic runner on second. Uh, they get two weak ground balls and uh, and a strikeout. Like that—that's good in for a hundred and. 30 years, that's been good in baseball to get two weak ground balls and a strikeout. And now that could cost you the game. And I hate yeah. it. I just, I hate it. And it, yeah, just, just either let the other team screw up so badly that they, that they lose or I don't know. I could go on. <laughs> I could go on folks. <laughs> Feel free. Yeah. I mean, I wonder whether if
1: we are stuck with it and I hope that we're not, and I hope that we won't have to get used to it. And it'll just be a weird fever dream that we all look back on and remember that, yeah, that happened for a couple seasons. But if it does become a permanent fixture, can you ever envision yourself coming around or will you be the guy who's, you know, 80 years old and ranting about the zombie runner the way that people are still ranting about the DH?
0: I will be wearing a sandwich board like on the corner <laughs> and just, you know, 80 years old with my hair askew, you know, pandemic hair, but without the <laughs> pandemic and I will be ranting and raving. I hate it so much. When the Giants, the Giants had a stretch and I think it was 2019, uh, maybe 2008. No, it's 2019 because I was writing for The Athletic. They had a stretch where they just kept playing 18 innings, 17 innings, 16 inning games. And it was really hard to cover that team. At the same time, like I really got into that. I remember they had an 18-inning game against the Rockies where there were negative two hits on both sides and it was boring, dull baseball, but at the same time it was fun and beautiful and it just kept going and it was like the platonic ideal of a Rockies-Giants game in San Francisco and it was, I, I loved what I wrote about it. It was just, it was it was a creative fodder for me and I just I, you'll never get, you will never get that again until they change the stupid rule. Yeah, I think we all like the weird extra inning games that last
1: forever and it's a, an endurance feat to make it to the end, and then you can write funny things about it and get gifts and all of that. I understand <laughs> why that might not be to the players' liking, and why many fans are tuning out at a certain point. I get all of that. I still prefer that. I don't think that was a big problem that needed to be solved. If there were to be a change, would you want the change just to be going back to that, or do you have a preferred method of ending games quicker that is not the Zombie Runner rule?
0: I mean I would just go back but I mm-hmm. I say this without hyperbole I would rather have a home run derby and like like a like a shootout basically and that sounds ridiculous and I would dislike it and at the same time it would solve that problem of if your team does better than the other team, then you win the game. It's, th- it's kind of funny baseball. It's not ideal, but at least you did something better than those guys. And mm-hmm. just as long as you get it to where one team has to outplay the other team as opposed to get the right kind of bad contact. So I'll, I'll, I'll take whatever.
1: Yeah, I would take whatever too. And I'd even take ties over this current yeah. system. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> no, too much for person. me.
2: Too strong. <laughs> Too strong a change for me. I do not like ties.
0: Yeah, I think I I, I would go, yeah, I think ties are, I'm I'm definitely lukewarm on ties. It's like, that's a D minus 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 to the (laughs) rule on seconds F.
1: Yes, exactly. Right. I would rather just have it end (laughs) than to have it continue as a mockery of itself, which is (laughs) what we have now. But I'd rather have it just continue to completion the same way that it is played up to and through the ninth inning. That works fine for me. So yeah, we'll we'll see if this is something that is a be in our bonnets for the rest of our lives, or whether somehow, some way, we can get rid of this thing. And I know there are people who like it, and those people are probably shaking their heads and sighing at us old timers and fuddy duddies here who don't like this new brand of baseball. But what can I say? I'm just not a fan. Freaks,
0: they're all freaks. <laughs> they should not. You shouldn't even dignify them. that's what I say.
1: If the Giants win one on a zombie runner rule, do you, does your aversion subside at least briefly or do you still feel like, no, you know what? that cheapens the victory for me.
0: Yeah, I don't get into it as much. Like, I don't know. It doesn't cheapen the victory. It's I'm not taking away anyone's victories. It's just – it's annoying to watch. I will say that the Giants are especially poorly set up for the, the automatic runner and in extra innings because they have a closer in Tyler Rogers who is contact dependent. Mm. Uh, you know, his his game is, is limiting exit velocity. And then the the second best reliever in the Giants' pen is Jake McGee. And his whole shtick is you know what he's going to throw and – and every so often, he'll screw up and allow hard contact. But you know what? Not a problem if there's no one on base. You know, let him give up his one double an inning. Or, you know, let him give up the you know, the occasional hard hit single. But with the runner on second, it hoses even Jake McGee if he's not missing bats. So it just feels like the Giants are especially hosed. But I don't even care about that. If they're 6-1, and one, I would still grumble.
2: I thought you were going to say they're especially poorly set up to score in that instance because everyone on their team is 97 years old and thus slow.
0: (laughs) They're napping. Uh, They've got a cup of Earl Grey. (laughs) They they can't be bothered with that.
1: Well, that hasn't seemed to hurt them so far this season. Old is the new young. Transitions. Market inefficiency. Yeah, so we're speaking here on Friday afternoon The Giants have the best winning percentage in baseball, as everyone predicted. They are 38-23. and They are a game and a half up on the Dodgers. And this is a team that the Fangraphs projections had as a 76-win team coming into the season. I think you had as an 80-win team on the Effectively Wild preview. And we're now 38% of the way through the season, which is not nothing. And the Giants have had the best results in baseball. So what the heck is going on here? And, you know, I should say, like, it's not a fluke in the sense that They're a team that's, you know, 10-1 in one-run games or something, and they're hitting 400 with runners in scoring position. Like, they've basically earned this, more or less. Like, they're, I think, a game ahead of their base runs record right now. I mean, it's a, a different question whether they can continue to play this well, but up to this point... They have actually more or less played like a team that should be in first place, even in a division with two really excellent teams that were expected to be the best teams in the league.
0: It, it yeah, I was kind of hoping you would explain it to me. Uh, now I'm scrambling because I yeah. Let me put this notebook away. I guess I don't get to to crib off of you guys. No, I don't it, look throughout the whole season. My job is to come in and go. Well, you know this this is great, but here's why it won't last. You know, or you know to to do those kind of articles and to be a wet blanket or to be a well, know, a dry blanket. I don't I guess, I don't know what the happy version of that is, but like. Whatever. I'm just looking for these things. And with the 2021 Giants, when you pop the hood, it's, they are. Allowing softer contact than most teams and they're making harder contact than most teams. And once you get that sort of basic thing, they're just hitting the ball harder and they're preventing the hard contact. It starts to make a little bit of sense. And then you start look at the names and it's like, okay, it's stopped making as much sense again. Because like (laughs) you said, Buster Posey's 34, Brandon Belt's 33, Brandon Crawford's 34. Like, I don't know. It's, it feels unnatural and unnerving for all these guys to be at their best. Like Buster Posey is at his best right now. Brandon Crawford is having far and away his best season in the majors. It's bizarre. At the same time, what can you ascribe it to? It's got to be good coaching, good planning, uh buy-in from the players. You know, they, they're they being presented with, with data and here's how you can hit better. And they're saying, you know, by gum, you're right. And they're buying in. I will say that before the season started, I wrote an article about Look for the worst hitter on this team. And when you find that hitter, he's kind of okay. You know, like the right. worst hitter on this team is going to be it, even now, where you've got just they're ravaged by injuries. They have not had good, good tidings with injuries this year. And you still look at a guy like Lamont Wade Jr. or a Mike Talkman, and you're like, okay, that guy, I could see how he could be good. Even if they aren't hitting well right now, I, you know, that guy, yeah, he should probably be on a 26 man roster. And once you build the lack of automatic outs, the lack of useless players, you start to have a team that can reach a tipping point where you get a couple surprising seasons and all of a sudden they're much better than expected.
2: You mentioned Posey and and good coaching and I think that his his usage this year has been really smart. Like they've deployed him in such a way that he seems like he might actually be able to sustain maybe not this level of performance, but – First of all, stay on the field from a health perspective and sort of deal with some of the natural wear and tear of catcher and I know that they're not they're not letting him catch a third day in a row. they're not using him at first base on off days like they're actually building in real recovery time and I'm curious what your sense of like how that conversation has gone between them and where it originated. Like, Did they go to him at the beginning of the season and say, okay, Buster, like you you had last year off, you were able to recover from this hip injury, here's how we want to manage you this year. What has that process been like? Because it seems to have been very effective and externally pretty conflict-free, which is not always what you get with veterans, even if they are aware of their own physical limitations because of past injury.
0: Two things. Uh, First, are you familiar with the Gabe Kapler ice cream? Story or anecdote. I don't know if it's <laughs> apocryphal or <laughs> yes. It's it, it, okay. So just for the listeners, a good story. Why? Do but I, that's. So- <laughs> bad <laughs> It's not, it's, uh, I, it's, I think it's mostly apocryphal. Like I think it's sort of tongue in cheek, but the idea is that he is on a diet, a very strict diet, not like a diet, diet to lose weight, but a very nutrition. And he didn't want to have ice cream, but he wanted the taste of ice cream. So he put some in his mouth and spit it out like he was tasting wine. Uh And that is not what I would do. That is not <laughs> something I can comprehend. At the same time, it shows like a very specific kind of discipline. And so if you're thinking that Kapler is going to be tempted by this catcher hitting 336 and driving the offense a lot of the time and being like, well, maybe I could stretch it. No, he he has this idea and he's going to spit the ice cream of Posey out. Wait, I didn't know where I was going with that. (laughs) Anyways, but you know what I mean? Like he's, he's very dismissed two days on one day off, no matter what, just going to stick with it. And I will say the second thing is that Posey early in the year, he was, uh, asked on a post game broadcast. Uh, he, he was the, the player after the game because he did something good. And one of the hosts said, you know, this two day on one day off thing, it's keeping you really fresh. And he kind of, he chuckled a little bit and goes, well, I wouldn't say it's keeping me really fresh and intimating that. He's still dinged up. He's still, you know, feeling tired. He's still feeling like a 34-year-old catcher. So it really just showed to me like, yeah, he's on board with this. Like he's saying, you know, maybe it came from him or maybe it came from the front office. Either way, he is on board and kind of like, yeah, this works for me. I think this is what needs to happen. And so I think it's just one of those things. It's just a happy, uh, complimentary arrangement. Yeah. I mean, a 170
1: WRC plus, this is like, even when he was the best hitting catcher in baseball, he (laughs) wasn't hitting quite this well, I guess, except for his MVP year, maybe. And this just makes me think like... Maybe with old catchers, just give them a gap year. Maybe that's (laughs) just a a good thing to do. Like just, hey, rest, just opt out of this one and come back at least semi refreshed. So I don't know how repeatable that is. It seems like Salvador Perez has kind of had the same thing happen with him, but It's really great. I mean, like, obviously he's one of the links left to the World Series teams and he's faced the franchise and all of that. And it really looked like he was kind of done. I mean, you know, 2019, the power just evaporated and really 2018 too. And then the injury and it's like, is he going to be able to come back at all? And not only is he back, but he is all the way back, maybe better than that. And yeah, maybe using him a little more sparingly than in his prime, but I just, I don't know how you could have expected anything remotely like this. And I think we, I don't even remember if we talked about him much on our season preview <laughs> segment, it was like almost an afterthought, like, yeah, you hope that he can come back and kind of hold his own. But being a superstar again, seemed like way too much to ask. And that is exactly what has happened. And and the Giants offense as a whole, like their non-pitchers have a 114 WRC plus plus. That is third in all baseball behind the Astros and the Dodgers and like even when I think of good Giants teams I don't necessarily think of good hitting or great hitting Giants teams so right. this is different and and you know it was
0: kind of the case last year too so the Giants hit now apparently yeah. And one of the things when Posey was, after Posey had the the big time leg injury, I was doing a lot of research uh just to kind of figure out, okay, what's a historical comparison? And so obviously you go Jason Kendall, and then you find all these catchers who get hurt in their early 20s, and and they flame out in their 30s. And, you know, there were a lot of unflattering comparisons uh at this, you know, so it was almost like Jason Kendall was, listen, if he can just get that on base percentage up a little bit, play solid defense, you know, he, he could play yeah. into his 30s. But the one name that kept popping up, like, like a devil on my shoulders, like Carl Fisk. It's like, what? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you know, that, that, no, like Carlton Fisk, that is one of the all time historical baseball outliers. And then like, I, you know, go and, well, he's kind of like Jason Kendall. And then he, Carlton Fisk, you know, it's like, it just kept like, it was ringing in my head and like, he's kind of on, like, he's not going to play till he's 45, most likely. But if you want a a historical comp, maybe Carlton Fisk is it because Carlton Fisk in his thirties was all of a sudden like, yeah, you know, he'll give you some on base percentage, but the power's kind of gone. Like He's getting creaky. You know, don't worry about it. And then when he hit like 35, now he's hitting 30 home runs, 37 home runs a season. And it's like, oh, OK. So I don't yeah. know. Maybe maybe that's the comp. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, and kind of amazing that they've done all of this. Like how many games have they even gotten out of Tommy LaStella? Like he's been sidelined with a hamstring injury. I kind of forgot for a second that Tommy LaStella was even on this team. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> it's I supposed to be a big part of it.
2: Right. He was the yeah. big offseason addition, right? Like a multi year deal. We are all in on Tommy Listella. I think I made a lot of bad jokes the last time and he tweaked his hammy and it was, you know, put on the 60 day I. L and you know, so they they're even gonna get some reinforcements at some point, I would imagine, here. It's just amazing. It's a good hitting Giants team. What?
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. And the weird thing is, is it's not like everything's going right. You know, like sometimes right. you can point at a team and like, well, yeah, they've got like five or six hitters going bananas. You've got Donovan Solano, very ho-hum. You've got Alex Dickerson, his on-base percentage is under 300, I think. You you know, Mike Estrumpsey's good, but he's not MVP vote getting great. Uh, Austin Slater's fine, but he's – you know, he, there's more in there. Wilmer Flores is struggling. Mauricio Dubon is struggling. Mike Talkman is struggling. Like – you know, apart from the injuries, they have a lot of hitters who were just sort of kind of there. Yeah. So it's even that part's surprising. They don't have the guys who are just absolute drags on the lineup, though. And I think that's the difference.
1: Yeah. And I know, you know, Saris and, and Andrew Paggerly wrote a long piece last November about the Giants offensive reinvention. And Joe Sheehan wrote about this recently and just showed how much the Giants approach has changed just from 2019 to 2021 their ranks in the NL in these categories. Twenty nineteen they were thirteenth in walks. Now they're second, or they were when Joe wrote this. Twenty nineteen they were twelfth in pull percentage, now third, they were eleventh in fly ball percentage, now fourth. So they've sort of transformed into like this launch angle, pull the ball, take advantage of the high homer era type offense. And I guess maybe partly is that because of the changes in Oracle Park making those changes more beneficial or is it a different group of hitters or is it a different group of coaches? Because you've got, you know, 18 coaches on this coaching staff now and it's a different regime and and maybe a more progressive one. And so I wonder how much of it is. Change in personnel, change in the conditions of the ballpark versus change in just instruction or or the type of approaches that are emphasized by this
0: regime. I would say that the Giants have a lot of players who are able to spit the ice cream out, so to speak. They have <laughs> a lot of disciplined, like, approaches where they, they're they buying into the idea of we're going to get our pitch and crush it. We're not scared to get to two strikes. We're not scared of striking out. Uh, we just want to swing at the, the most hittable baseballs that we can. And it's not like that's an old strategy. I mean, everyone knows it's Ted Williams and, and, and stuff like that. So it's not like they're trying to reinvent Invent the wheel. It's just they—they they have buy-in, and they have players who are able to be disciplined in, in that way. But I will say that I have not heard a bad thing. I haven't heard anything off the record. I haven't heard uh, anything where there's been a player that's gone like, "Gosh, there are just too many cooks in this kitchen." With regards to all the coaches for the most part on the record and off the record, I've heard, yeah, it's great. Like they're able to really tailor a plan for you. You're able to get more attention. You're able to get um, like a a deeper dive into the data that's specifically to you. What are you screwing up on? What are the strikes that you want to avoid? Like, you know, that's, that's something that a lot of the players have said. It's, they don't want to swing at their bad strikes. The the ones that get called strikes and they're okay with that because they can't do much with it. So just knowing that, that is out there and having a tailored plan, I think has made a big difference.
2: I think we've also seen the, the tailored plan approach, you know, manifesting itself on the pitching side, which is my way of giving you an open platform to talk about Kevin Gaussman's splitter for a little while, if you would like to. <laughs> I mean, the it's it's been interesting, right? Dan Zimborski wrote about this for us recently. The underlying characteristics of that pitch, you know, when you look at its spin or its velocity are not that different, but how he's deploying it and sort of where he's throwing it in the zone have has changed meaningfully, and he's getting really good results. And I'm curious kind of what his process was working with the front office on that because, you know, he's one of those guys we kind of expected to break out for a long time just because of his prospect pedigree, and then it didn't happen. And now here we are with him, like, leading the first-place Giants <laughs> in pitching war. Grant, this seems really confusing to me. I feel like we're missing something. <laughs> I don't like the ice cream thing. I, If I were Gabe Kaplar, I wouldn't l- want people to
0: tell that story. <laughs> I don't think he does, but I will say... <laughs> i will say i i don't quite believe in it i just think it's a funny way to describe discipline on the team it's like yeah. relevant and and a jokey aside but at the same time all right so i guess I'll go back into Gaussman. It's not like there were dumb teams that were fiddling with them before. I mean, right. you can always say like, oh, yeah, the Orioles didn't know what they're doing and maybe that's right. But it seemed like the Braves had figured him out a little bit once he went over to the Braves. And then when the Braves were like, well, we, we can't – I guess we didn't figure him out and they, they put him on waivers. The Reds picked him up and at one point it looked like his future was in the bullpen and it looked like they had figured a little bit out. So – you know, those are smart teams trying to play around with what they're doing and and what they can do with his repertoire. It, I think the Giants just got a, a little bit lucky. You know, obviously no one knew he was going to be that good, but at the same time, Everyone just sort of knew like, yeah, if you play around enough, it's going to like the cosmic tumblers are going to fall into place. And last year he was better than the ERA. And I think this year he maybe is not as good as the 1.27 ERA. But at the same time, he's clearly a top, top level pitcher and
1: everything just fell into place. Yeah, Tim Kuhn of ESPN has a big feature about the Giants up on Friday, and he kind of leads with some anecdotes about Gossman and about Anthony DiScafani and how the Giants have tailored their pitch mix and their approaches and gotten them to adjust various things. And it's not like mind blowing stuff in 2021, but it's the sort of stuff that you usually hear or you're used to hearing about the Dodgers and the Rays and, you know, teams that are known for Astros. You know, you acquire so and so and then you tell them to junk this pitch or throw that pitch more or throw higher or whatever it is and then suddenly they're better than they've been before and that's not a narrative that I recall hearing about the Giants all that often before the last couple years and you know you're more cognizant of that stuff than I am but it seems like they are fully on board with sort of that modern viewpoint of like figuring out what players do well and then getting them to do those things more basically or or do them even better and i guess the pipeline from the front office to the field there seems to be about as strong as it's ever been and you know they have guys like Brian Bannister now and the coaches the many coaches that we mentioned already so it seems like they are now doing i don't know if it's a better job than most teams but at least as good a job at Figuring out how to maximize players' performance. So that's something that I don't know if the Giants were like early adopters of those sorts of tweaks, but they appear to have fully gotten on board now.
0: There are a couple of different eras in Giants history where they have been just completely caught off guard and lost for a few seasons while they tried to figure it out. The first one was the Brian Sabian era where it was, well, we're going to sign all these old players, you know, 35, 36, 37, because for whatever reason, they just don't seem to decline these days. You know, they're just <laughs> strong, strong like bull and, and they don't get hurt. And what's that? And then the Mitchell report comes out and all of a sudden all these old players start getting hurt and it's not quite as easy. Okay, so they, you know, they that those are the picks that got them Lincecum and and Bumgarner. They they lucked into some maybe not luck, but they they had some good draft fortune. Now they're the that era giants, and they're Posey, they're they're Belt, they're Crawford, they're doing great things. And then Statcast comes out, and they've built, they've tailored their approach to gap to gap. They've they've got this this really solid, good contact offensive team that works well at Oracle Park. But then when the positioning starts getting messed around, and then when the data starts getting funneled in. Uh, you know, Joe Panic. well, he's not good anymore, and, and this player's not hitting well anymore, and, and all these players are unable to adjust, and so they got caught flat-footed there, and it cost Bobby Evans' job. So this is just another, like, coming in and having a fresh set of eyes, and really trying to figure out what didn't work on those old teams, uh, because it it's just like a real shock, just all of a sudden, it's like, poof, you know, we're not good anymore. What? And <laughs> this new front office came in and said, well, you know, maybe we should get better players, and so I, I think like that That's helped a lot.
1: Yeah. And when we had you on last time to do the preview, we talked about how the last few years hadn't really played out the way anyone expected them to when Farhan Zahi was hired. And everyone thought, okay, there's going to be a tear down and there'll be a full Zaidi rebuild and he'll trade all these old guys and get a bunch of young guys in. And that really didn't happen <laughs> very much. And Yet they are winning and and leading their division, so it almost seems as if, well, maybe they didn't actually have to rebuild or tear down. And I'm sure that we will ask before this conversation is over about what you think they should do for the rest of the season and and the deadline. But is is this like a model for a rebuild, which is don't? rebuild and just (laughs) just get good again anyway like if this is you know i don't know whether like they'll take a step back again before they take another step forward and you have another young generation of giants coming along but if this is like we've already seen them bottom out then this would be a pretty successful rebuild because it didn't get that bad really
0: yeah, I would say that you can't draw too many takeaways from this uh, that you can apply to different teams going forward. The Giants were not such a unique position with their veterans and the contracts that they were on. So Sadie so comes in, and so for example, take Evan Longoria, making a lot of money way into the future. They come in, he's coming off a, a 91 adjusted OPS, uh, 281 on base percentage, but you know he's hitting 16 home runs. The defense was still top notch. So. A useful player, if you use him correctly, and all all things being equal, if he's making the major league minimum, you would want that player on your team. So he's not going to pay another team to take him, and no other teams wanted to buy down Evan Longoria's contracts. Okay, what are we going to do? We're going to keep him and try and make him better. Same thing with Crawford, same thing with Belt, same thing with Posey. There's a lot of no no trade clauses mixed in there. They just didn't have, like, if if another team said, we'll, we will take Brandon Crawford's salary, they might have said, yeah, you will, you know, and <laughs> here you go. But they are not going to pay another team to take a very strong defensive shortstop who can maybe hit a little bit if you work with them. And so it was just a combination of things like no teams wanted them. The Giants weren't just going to punt them to the side for optics. And I here we are.
2: I don't want to get ahead of our conversation, but Ben sort of anticipated my next question, and maybe we can frame it a little differently. Like what are the what are the different sort of tracks that you see the team potentially on in the next couple of weeks? Because if they continue on as they are now, I I find it very difficult to believe that they won't be buyers of some sort. We can talk about how significantly at the trade deadline and like really view this as a team that is potentially October bound, even if not as a division winner. But, you know, things can always go wrong in baseball and guys who are having Renaissance seasons can suddenly swoon. So what do you see like the, the couple of different, what are the earth twos for the Giants over the <laughs> next couple of weeks? And then maybe we can talk about sort of how you expect them to to perform after this season because we like to look ahead.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think when you go back to the 2019 deadline, it was kind of instructive on what might happen here because that was the year the Giants had Baumgartner. Uh, his contract was expiring. You had Will Smith. You knew he was going to be a free agent and everyone expected, okay, the Giants are going to sell. The Giants are going to sell. And then they had a really hot July and it wasn't like the kind of hot July where all of a sudden they're the best team in baseball, but it just made you think and it made Zaidi go, okay, you know what? We're not going to sell these players. We're going to get the draft picks back. If that's the worst that happens, that's, that's fine by us because we're interested in playing meaningful September baseball. We're, we're interested in having the fans walk away at the end of the season going, you know what? I enjoyed a lot of that season. And it was very pragmatic. It was very just, you know, it wasn't cold. It wasn't, you know, we need to hoard these prospects and sort through them and see who can be a part of the next good team. It was like, no, there's value in winning when you're doing it. And that's why this year I've been asked by a couple of people, like, do you think they'll still sell? Do you think they'll still trade Gaussman? It's like, no, like yeah. you know, at the very least, they might make some creative trades because in that 2019 season, they still traded Sam Dyson away. Uh, they got a, you know, package that they're still very happy about for a reliever that season. So they might be creative like that. Uh, I don't think they'll be buying rentals. I don't think they'll be giving away prospect depth for anyone who isn't around in 2022. But I do think that they're going to be really carefully scrutinizing. Which relievers might be available who are uh, around for next year, maybe two years, get some team control on relievers they really believe in. And I think that's going to be their tack.
1: Yeah. So we talked a lot about the offense, and I wanted to just talk a little bit about the run prevention because that's been really good too. And The Giants have been good defensively. I know that they've been close to or at the top of the defensive efficiency leaderboard for most of the season. They're a point behind the Dodgers and two points behind the Astros right now. And I don't know how much of that is allowing weak contact, which is another thing that they've done. So maybe they're giving their defenders easier opportunities. But (laughs) is this just also a good defensive team? because? That's an area where I think it's easy for us to overlook good fielding or easier than it is to overlook a monster lineup or pitching staff. So if you're looking for reasons why a a team is overperforming or exceeding expectations, often defense can be one reason. So is that the case with the Giants? And if so, how? Because they're ancient and you wouldn't (laughs) think that would correlate (laughs) with good defense. Like their average position player age or batter age this year is 308 Which is like by far the oldest in baseball. The average pitcher age is 29.6, which is also on the old side. So (laughs) I don't know why defense would be their strong suit, but you know, it has been
0: that's been probably the biggest surprise I mean the the offense it was clicking last year and so for them to have a good offensive season this year not so surprising they've shown an ability to to find these guys whether it's Drew Pomerantz or Drew Smiley or uh, Alex Wood Discofani like they're they're good at finding these guys and saying now we can get a year out of of this pitcher the defense is the biggest surprise and before the season it was just you knew it was going to be bad you saw like Solano's not a great defensive infielder you had Maurice Dupont in center field, he's a converted infielder. They were saying, well, we're going to try Austin Slater in center, and he's never been like a true burner. Uh, there are just a lot of players where you could point to and go, yeah, it's going to be rough. Tommy La Stella, you know, for all his, his good parts, he's not a, a, a superb fielder. But it, they've, they've made it work. And I, I think the anchor of Longoria and Crawford does a lot. And Belt, I know he's having a rough season by the metrics this year, but he's a strong defensive first baseman. Getting Steven Duggar out there a little bit more helps out a lot. Yastrzemski has been like gold glove caliber in right. That's helped out a lot. And. It, I don't know it just it it is the biggest surprise of the season and I have no idea quite how they're doing it but it just keeps humming along and they catch the ball too they they don't make a ton of errors and so it it's been a really fun defense to watch
2: in terms of potential upgrades where do you expect that they might try to improve come the end of July because I know that when you know we look at their rankings relative to other teams and we're like they're really superlative everywhere and that's true maybe everywhere except for the bullpen but um so maybe talk about that a little bit (laughs) because I was I was a bit surprised by their their war ranking there which is 27th by our by our accounting anyway
0: yeah, really, really, really rough bullpen. Uh, where you have Tyler Rogers, and Tyler Rogers is having a tremendous season,
2: which I think is part of why I was surprised by that sort of collective grade there. Because I was like, he's really good, but oh gosh, some of these other guys.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, it it was he was on pace to throw like 110 games at one point early in the season because they just had to keep using him. He was the one trustworthy uh, reliever. And you have someone like Jake McGee who does a lot of things well. He misses bats. He, he doesn't walk batters, but you don't want to ride him. You can't really pitch him back-to-back days that often. You want to keep him fresh. And so you have Rogers You can use whenever. Uh, McGee, you don't want to use too much. And then after that, I don't know they're still really figuring things out you know Connor Menez uh, has had a fast start now that he's been recalled Sammy Long was a revelation in his spot I guess a long relief outing in his debut so they're trying to figure things out with what they have Dominic Leon Zach Lattell, like they're, they're still mixing and matching I do think that they have another month of mixing and matching and then they'll say okay we need at least one bullpen arm maybe two maybe three you know they uh, this is the obvious place to fix whatever's wrong with the Giants, because the rotation, once they get Aaron Sanchez back, and I don't know how much you can expect from him as far as health, but they have five, six starting pitchers that they feel comfortable with. They have a lineup they feel comfortable with when everyone's healthy. They have depth when even everyone's not healthy. They kind of feel comfortable with a lot of the players who are throwing out there right now, but the bullpen is just such an obvious glaring need. I do think they'll address it.
1: I wonder what this season has been like to experience. I I know you're not a fan in the way that you once were, but is this season like, wow, this is gravy. No one expected this. This was supposed to be the Dodgers Padres show and the Giants have... Crashed the party here, and we're almost 40% of the way through the season. And they have a better record than the two super teams in this division. So, whatever we get from now on, oh, it's just great. This has been fun. This is better than we could have hoped for. But there must be some anxiety because it's gone on this long, and now you start to believe in it and hope that it can (laughs) be real and it can continue. And you know that there's like no margin for error, there's no breathing room here. You have the Padres and the Dodgers. Nipping at your heels the whole season, I think the Dodgers' biggest lead has been two and a half games. The Dodgers, even with all the injuries they've had, they have the best run differential in the majors now. You know that they're constantly a threat to just reel off 12 wins in a row or something. So do you feel like... This has just been better than anyone could have hoped. And hey, you know, no stakes. We're playing with house money here. Or is it like, no, I kind of want this to happen now. And you've got these two
0: great teams that are right behind us. So the pressure is always on. House money is a good way to put it. At the same time, I'm not a fan the way I used to be. But it really really does make my job easier when they win it makes it yeah. easier it makes uh the readers are happier the readers are more engaged with whatever you're writing So uh, there is a benefit to the Giants winning for me and uh, i I would sure like it to continue I mean it just it would be really really neat you know to, to use some jargon. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's going to continue but house money is kind of like. Yeah, there is a sense of luck, you know, if they, if they somehow blow it and finish it in third place, if they go on a losing jag that sends them out of the wild card even, like, yeah. That would stink. At the same time, you would still look back on the season fondly and nobody cares about the 1978 Giants, except for like five people, but some of them might be listening, and the 1978 Giants had a very similar vibe where the 70s, I'm always fascinated with the 70s and the Giants because they had AstroTurf, like Mays is gone, McCovey's on the Padres, and you've got Johnny LaMaster coming up and wearing Boo on the back of his jersey. Like, it's just a miserable experience, but 1978, they won a ton and they won an early it was kind of like this team they just bolted out of the gates and you had uh mccovey's back and he's 40 you have bill madlock and and you have uh, vita blue and you have like a really like interesting compelling team and they still you know futzed it away at the end and they they lost and they didn't win the division but people of a, a certain vintage still remember like oh the 1978 giants yeah that was fun that was fun as all heck and i think this this might have a, a similar vibe
2: I'm struck by the fact that, you know, regardless of what ends up happening for them this season, I think we we see them as as certainly emerging from a down period or rebuild or step back or whatever we want, the rebuild without a rebuild, you know, whatever you want to call it. And they're preparing perhaps to launch into a new competitive window in an offseason that has a very contentious CBA negotiation looming. I'm just curious what your sense is of how the organization sort of views itself within both its own competitive window, but also within the landscape of that very competitive division, because they will still have to deal with the Dodgers and the Padres next year, regardless of whatever they accomplish this year. So how do, do you get a sense that this has sort of shifted their own internal timeline or trajectory at all?
0: I think that next year was always going to be that eye of we're going to really try, whether it's spend a little money. Uh, They have a ton of money coming off the books. Uh, The problem with that is that, you know, it's Posey and it's Crawford, two of the players who are responsible for what they're doing right now. So you might have to spend money to get them back. At the same time, they will have money to spend. Even if they lock Osman up, even if they re-sign Posey and Crawford, they will have money to spend and I think that's that was always the plan. And it was always the plan to have a prospect cavalry come up at some point. Might not be next year with Elliot Ramos, Mark Luciano, and Hunter Bishop, but you know, if they find if they target a player and say we expect this guy to be good in 2022 and 2023 and 2024, they might take the plunge. Whether that's Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, uh, they maybe they'll be big time bidders on Max Scherzer. I don't know, but I do think that next year was going to be yeah, we're gonna we're gonna kind of go all in is not the right word, but we're not going to be halfway out. We're gonna be trying to win in 2022
1: but there's no one who to provide reinforcements this season you know like when the giants have needed a a fresh arm it's like let's call up this young whippersnapper he's got a good left arm scott casimir let's (laughs) see what he's got left (laughs) so there's no one like you know hanging around triple a who's like on the verge right now from that next generation of giants like we're still a ways away from that so it's not really a a short-term 2021 solution
0: kind of sort of where you don't have it's the position players that i'm not going to say they're behind but they were always a a younger bunch with luis matos and marco luciano like there's always going to be a, a little bit of a wait and see period but they they weren't supposed to have the starting pitching that they've had in the the upper minor leagues and they have it now they've got sean jelly and matt frisbee and uh sammy long is you know a minor league free agent but he's still 25 and he looks he's like a freak you know he throws 95 with command and a curveball that just drops out of the sky and they have good upper level pitching all of a sudden. That is not something they've been able to say for a while. So even with this batch of pitchers, where it's very you know Alex Wood, Aaron Sanchez, Disclafani, it's not the sturdiest bunch. It's this is not a 200 inning type a workhorse rotation. But they're prepared behind that. So you might see a little bit of a cavalry come up if they need starting pitchers. You know if Logan Webb's shoulder doesn't get where it needs to be, you might start seeing some names and go Matt Frisbee. the heck is a matt frisbee you know and then all of a sudden he's in there and he's doing really good things so that's a possibility
1: it just looked up Matt Frisbee, and apparently he has a plus slider, so yeah. we can call it the Frisbee slider. Yeah, yes, absolutely.
2: The the names the names in this system when I edited that list are just oh, they're so good. Um, one one prospect you didn't mention in that list is Joey Bart, which I think is one of the underrated benefits of Posey's season. Right, is that he, Bart is getting time to marinate in the minors that he clearly needed after his approach just like disintegrated last year, and his his line at AAA right now has. Been, it has been quite good, obviously, in a limited run here because it's still the early going of the minor league season. But I'm curious, like, what is the organizational view of Bart at this point?
0: I think they're still very high on him. I think they're very happy to have him in the system, of course. He was drafted by the previous regime, and they immediately drafted uh, Patrick Bailey in the first round right after. So there was kind of that... Huh. Are they enamored of of Joey Bart as, as maybe they could be, Uh, but I think that they really like him. I also think that last year, more so than, you know, striking out 41 times and walking like three, like he had a horrible ratio. I don't remember exactly what it was but more than that was he was a little rough around the edges defensively and yeah. I think that was supposed to be a given but uh, you know Johnny Cueto really struggled getting on the same page with him uh, there were a lot of kind of weirdo mistakes that you weren't expecting from a field general so just letting him get back there and doing his thing and getting a full AAA season I think has always been the goal to the point where when Kirk Casale goes down to an injury uh, well first of all Kirk Casale's hitting 100 and he's not doing anything but he's a solid defender they weren't going to move off of that they're like okay just keep doing your thing but now that he's hurt they went with chadwick trump and they they're bypassing bart not because they don't like him but just i think the plan is do your thing kid
2: right right i also love that we will all of us write the rest of our careers and never come up with a two-word sequence more satisfying than chadwick trump (laughs) Just never it's like (laughs) his parents the best writers on the planet
0: (laughs) <laughs> really? Was, I mean, it's a very Thomas Pinchone name. It is just absolutely <laughs> straight out of Gravity's Rainbow. The first time I saw it, I was like, oh, that's Gravity's Rainbow. So, yeah. yes, Chadwick really ter- Trump.
1: Really terrific stuff. Chadwick Trump. Skybolt. Yeah, <laughs> it's really something. Yeah, I I hope that they get the injured guys back. Like everyone's had injuries this year, so you can't really say the Giants have been harder hit than most. As I know you wrote recently, and I hope that the hurt guys get less hurt and come back, and that Evan Longoria can resume his somehow peak Evan Longoria <laughs> season at age thirty five. Which, oh man, that I don't like. If I had to rank the improbability of these seasons, I don't know whether it would be. Posey and or Crawford having a career year or Longoria bouncing all the way back or or what but they'd all be like roughly in the same region I guess but you know Joshian in his newsletter earlier this week put it the Giants will end up better than expected and they may even work their way into the 2020 postseason but we've seen the best they have to offer now it's about holding on which is Kind of grim, I guess, but (laughs) I understand why he would look at it that way. And, you know, they just don't have much of a a buffer to hold on with, at least if you're talking about a division title. And the Fangraph's playoff odds have respected them more than they did before the season started when they had a 0.2 chance to win the division and a 5.7 chance to make the playoffs at all. Now they're up to a 4.9% chance to win the division and a 54.8% chance to make the playoffs. So the Fangraphs playoff, I'd still see them as basically a coin toss to make the playoffs at all and still an extreme long shot to finish ahead of the Dodgers and Padres, even though they have managed to do that for almost 40% of the season. So. It is a strange situation and I hope it continues because it's been a lot of fun to watch. But yeah, I guess these next six weeks or so will be very interesting to see like if they get Longoria back and some of the other guys who are hurt to figure out like where they need to shore up positions and then what is out there on the market and where they can upgrade. Because as you mentioned, I guess like it's not like there are a lot of terrible players where sometimes it's easier to upgrade if they're like obvious glaring positions where you've been so bad that getting almost anyone would be an upgrade. And with the Giants, like, you know, top to down in the lineup, if everyone's healthy, like they've been pretty productive. So there are other places they could upgrade, but it's not, I guess, the most obvious team to point out positions where, yeah, you could go get this guy and that would be a big help.
0: Right. Yeah. I just don't think there's going to be like, Oh, well, now they've got Trevor story and, and now that he's yeah. the piece that they're missing. I, I just don't think that that's going to, they're really going to hope like Maurice Duvon figures out what he figured out halfway through last season. And if he doesn't, maybe they can get. You know, his equivalent on the trade market. But I think that's going to be the plan offensively. Hope that Alex Dickerson gets better and healthier and uh, hope that Austin Slater can, you know, stop taking so many pitches down the middle of the plate. And, and, you know, stuff like, stuff like that uh, is what they're going to be looking for more than Trevor story. And I think it's just going to be bullpen, bullpen, bullpen.
2: I do want to hear you impersonate 100 Pensmore, though. Do your impression,
0: please. <laughs> I don't think I have. You know, I when my dad said that, it was just looking. I was just looking in a YouTube camera. This is when I uh, I offered to shave my playoff beard. In 2014, I said, Royals fans, listen, give me five thousand dollars and I will shave my beard. I will jinx the Giants. I will ruin their season for five thousand dollars. You can just like how many nickels is that? Get it together. Come on, Kickstarter people. And no one did it, and the Giants won the World Series because of their stinginess. Uh, but apparently in that video, my dad's like, Oh, that's a good Hunter Pence impersonation. It's like, no, I was just I this is how we look when the Giants get into the postseason. It's not Great.
2: <laughs> it's going to be weird to go to winter meetings this year and see everyone and be like, huh, so this is what the year has done to us. Okay.
1: <laughs> Grant has gone gray.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. Emma, Lindsay, and I still don't look exactly alike, but enough that it might be a problem
0: for you. I just want to <laughs> let you know. <laughs> who, who don't look up <laughs> I thought you... Oh, Meg! Meg, what's up? I thought, I thought it was Emma the whole time.
2: Uh, oh, lordy. <laughs>
1: I guess it's just been about as weird to to be a follower and cover of the Giants over the past ten to fifteen years as as any team, because uh, even when they were extremely successful. They weren't necessarily the best team in, in baseball yeah. and right. ultimately what matters is you win a bunch of World Series and anyone would take that. But even as they were doing it, it was like the devil magic and even your magic and all of that. And so
2: you can do a swear. You just have to warn people, Ben. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'll, I'll get the hang of that, but Even when they were winning the World Series, it was like, are the Giants really that good? I I don't know. They win anyway, and now they're winning anyway, and there's still questions about how good they are. So I guess this is pretty much par for the course for you. There hasn't been like a a dominant, unquestionably great Giants team, like even when they were winning World Series. So in that sense, like, you know, if the Giants eventually morph into like a Dodgers-style juggernaut where they enter the season like. When was the last time the Giants entered a season as like the preseason favorite or or best team in baseball? Has that happened?
0: <laughs> like, I would say like 2012 ish. Uh, yeah, it was pretty close to like okay. You know they had rough luck with the Posey injury, but th- this is probably the best team on paper. But yeah, you're right. It hasn't certainly hasn't been a lot.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I'm enjoying that this is
1: bolstering Buster's Hall of Fame case anyway. Yeah. Like he was uh, kind of on the borderline, probably, or at least for a lot of voters. So this renaissance, uh, maybe that pushes him over the edge, but maybe that also pushes his eligibility far into the future because he's a superstar (laughs) again. So we'll see. So you can read Grant at The Athletic. You can hear him on multiple podcasts there, Bags and Brisby, and The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence, who actually is a former Effectively Wild guest himself. I forgot about that, but Hunter Pence was on the show, too, back in 2019 when he was promoting a documentary and talking about his swing reinvention and all of that. So we've had both of the Baseball Barista boys on the show. You can find Grant on Twitter, of course, at Grant Brisby. And we're always happy to have him on, even if we thought that we were getting his co-host instead.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be on.
1: All right, that will do it for today and for this week. Thanks, as always, for listening. You can support Effectively Wild on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. The following five listeners have already signed up and pledged some small monthly amount to help keep the podcast going and get themselves access to some perks. Daniel Gold, Ryan Nelson, andrew mcdonald gabe shapiro and Bern samco thanks to all of you you can join our facebook group at facebook.com group slash wild you can rate review and subscribe to effectively wild on itunes and spotify and other podcast platforms keep your questions and comments for me and meg coming via email at podcastfangraphs.com or via the patreon messaging system if you are a supporter thanks to dylan higgins for his editing assistance we hope you have a wonderful weekend and we will be back to talk to you early next week